Welcome to Backlist and Chill. I am Ollie from near Philadelphia. I'm Sina from Ohio. And we are here to talk about Annette Curtis Klaus's worst book ever. Mm-hmm. It's not even a contest. Nope. If we were trying, this was trying too hard. Yeah, if you would think like after the kind of issues that we had with Blood and Chocolate, like it might be, it's not a contest. No. It's not, not even a little. No. Not even, <laughs> even a little. Like page one, I was already like, mm, I hate it. I know. I know. I... <sighs> Listeners, I'm... save yourself. I'm sure there's a way that you can... I, I know there's a way that you can do this, but this did the opposite of whatever that would be. (laughs) This did everything it shouldn't have. So, as we have discussed kind of briefly in passing, you do not even, you don't even like circus books. No, I hate circus shit. Right, so this book was going to be your least favorite regardless. Yeah, I mean, like, you can redeem them sometimes. Like, I've, I'm sure I've read decent circus shit, maybe. I don't actually know. I don't actually have proof of that. But... (laughs) I like I'm sure it could have redeemed itself if it had not been a steaming pile of horse shit. Yeah. And I I really enjoy the circus setting. Mm-hmm. I I have worked with sideshow performers. I have done not sideshow acts, but like um one it's too early to I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> I'm having absinthe again, guys. I thought it was kind of appropriate for the time, but also it's it's needed. Side note, I found a drink called a circus freak. <gasps> Is that what you're having? It's what I'm having. It's oh, actually not it. it's not fancy. It's literally just vanilla coke, which I did not do because I hate vanilla coke. Okay. So I just bought a two liter of coke and I dumped some vanilla in it, which might have been a bad idea. <laughs> How much vanilla? <laughs> I didn't measure. I just kinda dumped. No, you probably only needed like two drops. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm using my giant Infinity War cup, so... Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so, vanilla coke, <laughs> coke and vanilla. Coke and vanilla, and uh, you're supposed to have two kinds of rum. Regular rum and Malibu rum. So, coconut rum. Yes. I just got the coconut rum because That's that cool. was $12, and I wasn't going to shell out another 7 for rum that I'm never going to use. Right, for rum that doesn't even have any good flavoring going on for you, when you could just yeah. have more coconut. Which, now I'm drinking it, and it just tastes like coconut. Weird. Maybe that's why. Yeah. I probably, I didn't measure. I just kind of poured. I appreciate that, though. Well, that's that's awesome that you did find something that was theme-appropriate. Mine is, I think, technically theme-appropriate as well. Uh, so it was, like, my plan to begin with, but also, holy wow. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I've done like uh, like at Ren fairs when you just like kind of are a wandering busker, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So so I've been friends with people who do sideshow performance work. I really appreciate all that shit. Like I've been homeless and I've had to like fucking not sing for my supper, but like I read tarot for a living for a year. Like so, I, I've been on the edges of this world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it last night after I finished this steaming pile of horse shit, as you call it. And I was thinking about how you don't like circus stuff and mm-hmm. how this is this is a terrible book. And I was like, well, what the hell do I even want out of a circus book? Since, like, this is pretty much what people probably expect from a circus book. Uh-huh. 
And really what I want is I just want a normal fucking story that's incidentally set in a circus world. Okay. Making the characters and whatnot, like, keeping them humanized and mm-hmm. giving them full lives and loves mm-hmm. and desires and hopes and fears and, and doing, you know, making bad choices and shit like that. That's all I want. I just want them to kind of look and sound like the people that I'm friends with. <laughs> right. I, that doesn't sound like too much to ask for. One would think. But then there's this. Annette Curtis Klaus doesn't agree. No, Annette Curtis Klaus thinks we should take all of the worst parts of circus and sideshow and apparently also sex work and Mm. the time period, which I think this was set in, what, the 1880s, 1890s? 1890s, somewhere in there, yeah. Okay, which I really like the 1890s because of Newsies, but, like... I hate it. I love the Newsies. (laughs) I don't hate Newsies. I also hate that time period. Yes, I know, which made this even worse for you. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Ah... So also, I wasn't expecting this book to be set historically. Really? Yeah. I mean, I knew it would going in, but when mm-hmm. uh, when first looking at it, I assumed it would be kind of modern day, you know? That's wild. I Anytime I hear about a circus story, I imagine that it takes place like between 18-something and like early 19-something. Yeah. yeah. Like, no one writes pirate stories about the end of piracy or exactly. after piracy. But I want that. I can't even imagine a modern circus story. And I, of course, can, having, you know, being friends with people. Yeah, that's true. And then I was thinking, like, those, like, Gwenda Bond books and stuff Mm. about the circus performer. Like, those are modern day, right? Yeah, there's definitely cars and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, it's been a long time since I read that one. It was good. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, clearly they exist. Yeah, and that one wasn't terrible. It did also feel like incidentally a circus book which is why i liked it but it was also kind Mm -hmm. of uh supernatural as well which was okay because it was in the modern setting and and so therefore it wasn't a historical circus supernatural story god that's too many things it's too many things too many you can have two plots you can't have three this plot has so many okay so i think we should sort of preface this with a little background information slash what Klaus was trying to do? Yeah, so do you have done a little bit of research? A little bit. Not as much as I would have liked, but it's been a kind of busy week. Uh, So I found an interview that she did with Cynthia Leitich-Smith, and I think it's Leitich. I never know how to pronounce that. And uh, she asked what was the timeline from Spark to publication and what were the major events along the way. So apparently the idea for this came to her before Blood and Chocolate was published. So she's been working on this thing for almost 10 years. And, like, I can understand that happens, but she had a pretty quick turnaround with those first three. This is true. She said that she was visiting New York and told the idea to her publisher, who offered her a contract based on her vague synopsis. Wait, so there's an interesting twist already. If this was before Blood and Chocolate was published, she was still with uh bantam double day dell yes she goes through that all right oh i'm strapping in she says it's it's not as exciting as it sounds she says that she's not sure she should have signed the contract she says that it forced her to write the book but it it sort of scared her because she was committed and she was afraid she couldn't do it Mm. Uh, and she usually waited until she had something to turn in before she signed anything 
And she says that she thinks she's going back to that method. Mm. Um, Anyway, she says it took eight years to come up with another book. Uh, She also says she hopes the next one doesn't take as long, which uh, the timeline on that's run out. Yeah. She says the publishing executive retired. She's on her third agent with the same agency. She's on her, uh, her editor was fired. Her editor was hired somewhere else. Random House released her from the original contract. And now she's published by a different publisher and back with her original editor. Oh, okay. So the editor got fired from Random House, picked up by, is it Simon Schuster here? Let me look. Simon Pulse was the ones who published this one. So yeah, Simon Schuster. Yep. I also saw mentioned in a review on Goodreads that somebody had seen an interview where she said that she had been pressed to finish this one quickly, which may have been what they took from like from this interview, but I wasn't able to find anything else referencing that. So I don't know if that's necessarily accurate or not. Right, right. So it's interesting that she was released from the contract with the editor being fired and all that, etc., I wonder if that happened like within the course of a year or two, because usually when with the industry, and I don't know if it's changed since then, so this was like 20 years ago, if it was back in like 97, 98, if they had like longer times on that, because usually these days they want like a pretty quick turnaround. So even if it was a two or three year turnaround, which is not quick um, from contract to like first draft turn in kind of thing. That means that all that would have had to happen in a very quick period of time for her to be released. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think they'd be like, yeah, sure, turn it in whenever. And then five years later being like, you know what, kiddo, you're not turning it in. It's all good. Move (laughs) on. So like, that's a little whirlwind right there. And to have come off the success of Blood and Chocolate, which was a huge success. It, It was not the biggest book of the time, but... If I have a friend who knows young adult books and I say, hey, you know, Blood and Chocolate, they've either read the book or they at least can say, <laughs> like one friend last night, be like, no, I haven't read it, but didn't they do a movie of it? Like, people know <laughs> it exists. Yeah. So that that's like, that's some serious pressure on, on a person right there. Mm-hmm. Which makes this book all the more disappointing to be like, you went through all that crap and then you didn't turn the thing in, really, whether... You were released because you weren't turning it in, or you were released because you were like, hey, no, I want to work with that editor, and you fired them. Because, mm-hmm. like, that, that, can, that can be part of it. Either way, that's very adrift. And if this book didn't come out for ten years, like, yikes. Right. I mean, that's the wild part to me, is that she had the idea for it. She had, uh, essentially, an incentive to write it yeah. in 1997. That contract. Like, that means you got at least some of it on signing. And now in 2006, it's not released until 2006 and with another publisher like that. That is a road right there. Mm Mm-hmm. And this book is so much bigger, uh, page-wise. Oh, I know. (laughs) We both know. (laughs) Uh, then her other ones, this is in the paperback release. It's 331 motherfucking pages. It's really, which isn't, isn't a lot. That's not a long book, but man, it fucking felt long. It shouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Things regularly come out that are like four and five hundred pages. And we're sitting here like, oh, three hundred pages. I was like on page 16. I was like, oh. Every fucking page. It's like a mile. Every page. 
And I think, like, Silver Kiss and Alien Secrets were both under 200, maybe? I don't know, but they were very short. They were short, as was uh, the, the kind of common thing for the time. Yeah, like, somewhere around 190 was a pretty common mass market paperback in the early to mid to late 90s. Late 90s, you started getting closer to 250, which is, mm-hmm. I believe, where Blood and Chocolate fell. But yeah, so... Silver Kiss, very short, super fast, freaks alive on the inside, which I, I wanted to stop saying. I know. 330 or so pages. Like, just too long. Just too long. Alright. So, I want to read the blurb so we can get this out of the way. Because no one even, no one listening, unless they've gone to Goodreads themselves, knows what we're about to chat about. I would hope not. And I hope this one died in obscurity. I really hope so. I don't know anyone who's even heard of this book. Mm-mm. Which, granted, we had the same thing with Alien Secrets, and someone was like, actually, it was really cute, and I liked it as a kid, and it's kind of more of a kid's <laughs> story. This one is actually, if someone came to me, actually, actually, if someone came to me and said, I really like this book, I would say, cool. I need to have a talk. <laughs> right? That if I know you in person, I'm going to try to not hang out with you anymore. <laughs> And if I know you on Twitter, I'm gonna block you. <laughs> you read it a kid as a kid 13 years ago, and you liked it, because it was, like, for you, a fun circus book, and it was a good time. That's great. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine. Know. Even ignoring the problematic things, Oof. it's still a crappy book. It is. And also, like, what's its fucking audience? Because, like... If you're, like, 16 to 18 in high school kind of thing, you pick up this book because, like, there's titillation every fucking page. Oh, my God. But it's filled with terrible trash, problems left, right, and center. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you can't even look past that. So I guess if someone was a kid and they read it, I would be like, you were how old? 10? Who let you read this book? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, she does talk in this interview about, like, higher ratings for for YA books, like 14 and up, and she says something along the lines of, like, oh yeah, I I require the people who read my books to have, like, a certain amount of, she doesn't say libido, but, like, that's the implication. Cool. Thanks, Annette Curtis-Klaus, for being only for allosexual people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Anyway, yeah, I would block you if you liked this book. <laughs> All right. So, <clears throat> freaks alive on the inside, exclamation mark. Oh, also, never mind. Let me try again. Freaks, colon, alive, comma, on the inside, exclamation mark. Abel Dandy feels all alone, a normal teenager who lives in fairyland where his parents perform with other quote, human oddities. His extended family includes dwarves, fat ladies, and Siamese twins. And his first kiss was with Phoebe the dog-faced girl. Everyone has an act to perform, for in 1899, there are not many ways for these, quote, freaks to earn a living. But what can boring Abel do? Determined to seek adventure, I know, and find a girl without a beard to kiss, (coughs) asshole. (laughs) Abel runs away from home. But Abel finds a harsh world outside of fairyland. Nothing seems to go as planned, and he is even more alone. 
except for a beautiful dancing girl who haunts his oh dreams and seems connected to his ancient Egyptian scarab ring. After misadventure and mishap, complicated by a little problem he thought he'd left behind, Abel stumbles upon a shabby traveling freak show run by the sinister Dr. Mink. It holds secrets that break his heart. Abel's grand adventure takes a dark and dangerous twist, but the dazzling girl of his dreams beckons him onward, as does his own true soul. Oh my god. Annette Curtis Klaus has woven humor, adventure, history, and fantasy into this exhilarating epic. Step inside <laughs> and see the show if you dare. You will never be the same again. Fact. <laughs> I have definitely had opinions about people irrevocably changed by reading this book. That is true. Right? <laughs> I will never be the same. Someone says, oh, I love that book. And I'll be like, come here. Come here. Let me shove it down your throat. <laughs> I have my paperback. I have my paperback and I don't want it anymore. Open up. And I don't want it. I'm going to just tear this page out for you. <laughs> I just keep tearing pages out to like shove I'm going to go faces. full on misery on their asses. <laughs> Alright, so, I've got two minor gripes before we get into actual gripes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Now, the first one I know you share with me. Mm-hmm. Is that fucking title! Yeah, it's not great. Right? Like, even though I was kind of half-joking about all of the fucking punctuation marks, all of this is horrible. I- Freaks? Your book is called Freaks. Thanks. Super cool. I love having to say this word over and over oh, again. Oh, I know. Alive! On the inside. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. She talks about wanting to reclaim the title and... She's not herself a freak. No, and she's... I mean, we'll get into it, but she's definitely mixed up some fucking, like, feelings here. But, yeah, sorry, we'll go ahead. No, no. No apologies necessary. It's the time to vent. But, yeah, so this title is terrible all over. I think there's room in some kind of story to have a title called Alive on the Inside. That sounds like an interesting book title. What's this book about? Probably don't want it to be this book. But something called Alive on the Inside would draw me over to it and I'd be like, what's this, zombies or something? Kind of an interesting potential here. I don't need all the punctuation marks. Yeah. I really don't need the word freaks. And I don't need Alive on the Inside to be referencing, like, humans. <laughs> humans who are really truly alive both inside and outside they are alive on the outside this is true right i am also alive on the outside thank you very much right that should be the subtitle for this podcast freaks also alive on the outside thanks <laughs> thanks definitely <laughs> punctuation mark <laughs> uh, so that's my first minor gripe which is kind of a big problem since that is the title of the book. I mean, it also ties into the main problem with the book. Yeah, because if you thought that this book could be, oh, that maybe there's something okay in here, all you have to do is look at that title and know that you're correct. It's horrible. Yeah. It's like, you know that title? You know the thoughts that you have when you're looking at that title? <laughs> That's the book. You're right. Put it Go down. Go with that. Put it, exactly. <laughs> put it down. So my second minor gripe is one I think I've mentioned briefly i don't know where maybe on the podcast maybe not i really just wanted this to be about fucking Faye. 
but oh. I always want it to be about the Fae. <laughs> you do always want it to be about Fae. Because I just want to find good Fae books, and I'm glad that this isn't because it would be a terrible Fae book. I, I hate to break it to you, Ollie, but your complaint for every book cannot be, it wasn't about Fae. <laughs> but it can. Look, if some of our friends can be like, well, it wasn't fantasy, I can be like, well, it wasn't urban fantasy. <laughs> I mean... Maybe that was a thing with Puck, where her name was Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. Right, in Midsummer Night's Dream, we're in the beginning. No, I'll tell you why. It's because he's from Fairyland. Oh, yeah. I Every time I read that, I was like, oh, there are better fae books I could be reading right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought this was going to be a book about a normal boy, and I'm thinking he's like a changeling that they, like, stole from humans, and he's going out to try to find his his real family who also work at, like, a like a human circus. Not a normal circus, a human circus. And that, like, even reading this book where it's talking about dwarfs and giants and pixies, and I'm like, it's real easy to make these fae. <laughs> they could just be dwarves and giants and pixies. I just, I love, I love you, and I love that the brief, like, pages in your head where every book where you're like, it's about Faye. Every like, book starts off with the potential to be about Faye. How could I make this about Faye? Like, fucking Bird Box was about the Faye. Okay. <laughs> I like, you like, stop, like, five pages in, and then you just have, like, a long extended fantasy sequence about your version of this book where it is about Faye. <laughs> where it is about the Faye. Right? I could... I don't want to, but I could make this about the Fae. It's real easy. He's he's stolen from from the humans. He works at a at a fairy an actual <laughs> fairyland circus, and he always felt out of place because literally he is out of place, and these people are not his family, but they kind of are. But they stole him, and like, what's up? Maybe you go out and you have like a cocoa problem going on, where you're like, oh no, you don't actually like me. Wait, no, my real family was back home all along. Like, <sighs> there are ways. To do that. And that would have been a fine book. It would have been a nice, simple plot. You could put in some some things here and there. Like, every paragraph of this fucking blurb tells a new fucking story. And that's because every 20 pages the story was changing. But that's my second very minor but personal gripe. Mm-hmm. The same gripe with most of the books. So we'll just sort of pin that to the top of... Right. The recording of every recording. All these problems. This is not about. This the is Faye. not about Faye until we hit a book that is about Faye, and then we can take that off, and we'll have That's one true. less minor. Gripe. We're gonna specifically have to hunt down. Like I know that there's a couple people we could be like, yeah, no, this is about the Faye, Ollie. Here you go, and then I'll be like, this book is terrible. Why isn't it not awesome? It's about the Faye. <laughs> You're just like, so this is how I would have written this book about the Faye. <laughs> yeah, but I'm always that way. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so we should preface this because i know i know i act like we're gonna get like gonna tweet us and argue with us nobody cares nobody's gonna tweet at us but nobody's listening it's just like it's just us hi mav how's it going hi mav i hope you have a good day good job last night uh so (laughs) misha good we should preface this with being like i understand what she was going for yes okay we get it The white lady wrote the book. We understand. She explains it to us a lot. In the back of the book, she's like, when I was young, I felt like a freak and everybody feels like a freak. And I just wanted to humanize the, these (laughs) people, stop, these people (laughs) the way that, uh, they were humanized for me when I saw Todd Browning's movie Freaks. And I reclaimed the title because freaks were great. Blah, blah, blah. I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. Listen. Listen, babe. 
We get it. <laughs> Come in real close. <laughs> but she does that in like the same way that every well-meaning finger quotes there. Uh, yeah. White lady does when writing about the other. Well, I'm not lay poor, but you know, sometimes I feel poor in the soul. Oh my God. I know. Okay. First of all, first of all, I also understand feeling alienated and like you're not like other people literally everybody does yeah we get it right she did this with the she had her group of friends you know she did that in in blood and chocolate they did a really good job they were the outcasts Mm -hmm. i liked Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. yes but feeling like a freak does not make you the same slash qualified to tell the story of disabled people in fucking 19 or 1890 working at the fucking sideshows like no it's not the same thing and that you draw that comparison shows that you are clearly you're so far out of your lane or like i get it you know like you don't want to not write things but you could like not write offensive things you just not write this this is not like a you thing yeah like maybe don't So you feel like a freak. Cool. Write something else. You expressed that. You expressed that very well in your last three books that were about people who felt alienated and different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, maybe that's the problem. It's like, did you not, do you not feel like you did this already? Like you had to hammer it home. So I get it. We get it. Mm -hmm. Get it. That's what we're Mm -hmm. trying to. But no, this is not how you do it. This is. We're not here to coddle those feelings. This is, once again, centering the perspective of somebody who does not have to deal with these things and making a story in which you are presumably addressing, like, the hardships that people faced by somebody who's not part of that group. Let's chat a little bit there on, uh, what, what Abel is not. Uh, likable? No. <laughs> I meant more in specifically the ways that he is not... A person who has any disability. Nope. He's got what would consider like the the medical standard body. Mm-hmm. Right. This he is, is not perfectly true. able. Uh-huh. Able. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm he really sad that able. I didn't get that until you pointed it out. But like, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's Dude. right there. It's right, it's right there. there. Right. Your name is fucking Able. So he is a cis white straight. Yep, oh, so he's he's heterosexual. He's ex- he's hyper allosexual. Uh-huh. Like he's not just allosexual. And I know some people might read this. Maybe perhaps there are, you know, cis white allosexual boys who would tell me differently. But like he is constantly thinking with his cock. Oh yeah, like, he's a walking boner. Uh huh. And I, you're all you're not telling me literally every time you go take a piss. So why are you <laughs> telling me literally every time, every time? you get a yeah. boner? I felt some heat in my loins. Oh my god. Okay, so this is something, and it's a small thing, but like something that we appreciated about like blood and chocolate Mm -hmm. and silver kiss for, you know, the nipples and... Nipples were hard. The way that it allowed uh, its heroines to like experience and express like sexual desire. But there is a reason that that's different when you apply it to girls. And yep. when you apply it to cis, straight, aloe, able, white boys, where... He reads as neurotypical as well. Yes. Where being able to see, like, a young girl express her sexual desire is something that you don't normally see. Whereas, like, boys who walk around with raging boners are like, 
everywhere and in everything. And I don't need this much of this. This is, by the way, why I don't read books from boys' perspectives. Because I don't like this. And even when you're written by a woman, Abel's fucking narrating cock kills <laughs> me. I can't yeah. handle it. Yeah. And there's also, I think, this real disservice to young dudes that assumes that they're these hyper allosexual beings Mm -hmm. that says well if you're not walking around with a fucking 10 foot erection constantly (laughs) are you even a dude yeah i mean yeah that is true this definitely perpetuates this idea of abel who is the normal Mm -hmm. being a hypersexual character like he keeps saying must i stay innocent to to hint at the fact that like he has not had uh, he's not had penis and vagina intercourse. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he hasn't done anything beyond kiss as well, which is like, that's fine. But he is like super on about like, want to stick it in a girl. Let's go. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I won't be innocent. I'll be a man. He specifically says, by the way, oh yeah, me and, and Phoebe, we only got to kissing and she never let me put my hands places. I did not touch a boob. That's it. All right. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I've got... Uh-huh. Some good shit on this. All right, okay. so I'm I'm participating in a wonderful program for for writers, mm-hmm. and the instructor has done a discussion, like a nice maybe almost two hour discussion, mm-hmm. on sexuality in YA. Okay, and like one, I learned a lot, but two, the biggest thing I pulled out of it that I could just like shrink this all down to is the ways in which the pers- like the camera view switches mm-hmm. a lot with sexuality when it comes to young adult stuff. That when someone's doing it as an author, when they're doing it correctly, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe correctly is the wrong word, but like a way that feels authentic. Let's go with that. It's very much like kind of fumbling and you don't really know what you're doing and you're mm-hmm. like really aware of shit. And you're like, oh God, what if I fuck this up? Uh, shit, do I smell weird? Um, am I touching <laughs> them okay? Your insecurities like, come out. Right. And maybe you're thinking about something else entirely where you're not like taking the adult perspective camera view. And then suddenly we're in this erotica scene (laughs) and everybody's kissing sexually and seductively and our tongues are flicking and blah, blah, blah. And then like all like sex happens. (laughs) And it's this very strange shift. And I was constantly noticing that with this book, that it went from like asshole able doing teenager stuff trying to find you know like his his place in the world this is fine these are teenage things like it's not a good book and even that's wrong but comparatively this is still a teenage viewpoint Mm -hmm. but then every time it wants to talk about his sexuality or the fucking nubile breasts of the dancing woman i'm just like this is not a teenager voice this is written so this is also her first and only book written in the first person perspective. So like, presumably we should just be having this, I don't even know how old he is. Let's call him 17 to 19 year old boy, his perspective. He shouldn't be an adult perspective, basically. So that was the big, I mean, not the big, big problem, but but that was one of the standout problems of Abel's sexuality in this book. 
beyond that he's hypersexual and that it's constantly happening and it's alienating to most readers, like, I'm pretty sure most teenagers are gonna read this book and be like, yeah, I'm real uncomfortable by talking about this kid's, like, dick every, like, three pages. Yeah, and I mean, that's the other thing, like, it, he sure gets hard a lot. Oh, and sometimes we learn about the, like, level of how hard he is? Yeah, I don't need that. That's creepy. There's no reciprocal... Again, part of what made Blood and Chocolate and the other one, Silver Kiss, uh, Tantalanthing Reads, was that there was romance. And they spent time necking and doing stuff and Vivian yeah. and Aiden do stuff. And, it's, you know, it's sexy to read, whatever. Yeah. He's just like, pretty girl got He's a just heart getting on. boners. Getting boners a lot. Like, he gets... He gets his erotic dreams, mm-hmm. where he gets danced at by an exotic Ooh, Egyptian lady. Who's, like, half naked. Ooh. Oh my god. The fucking level of sexualization of this woman, mm-hmm. which... She's literally just here for him to touch. Literally. Yeah. Literally. yeah. I kind of hate her, you know? Because she's not even really a, a, a character. She's not a character. She she's is a literally man. a fantasy. She's just mm-hmm. a fantasy. The frustrating part is that you have this character who's super sexual, and I'm talking about her now, not him, who's super exotified, sexualized, and she gets no agency. Like, there's no sense of her having any interior. There's nothing to her aside from, I am here specifically and literally for him. There's nothing yeah. to her. So she, so it's gross and objectifying and, mm-hmm. like, super racist. Oh, oh god, yes. And, like, she gets weird about things when he ever looks at other girls, and it's like, you're a, you're a fucking dream. Like, you don't exist. Because, like, this is clearly where this book is heading. But, yeah, like, fuck you. (laughs) Let this kid do what he wants to do. You're fucking controlling him. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's all you're here to do. You're here to, like, control him and be there for him and true love woo shit. The plot structure of this is so fucking weird. It's two separate threads. It's Abel and his real-life circus adventures. And then there's this parallel thing of these dreams, these wet dreams that he keeps having about this sexy Egyptian lady with titties who really wants him. (laughs) And they stay separate for so long, except for, like, the brief points where they sort of mix, where, like, the Egyptian stuff is, like, a shock thingy to, like, shock the plot back on course (laughs) in the direction of resolving this Egyptian lady thing. But it so clashes, like, so badly. It does not need to be there. Reading the book, I kept trying to like analyze, well, what the fuck could I take out? Like if I was the editor of this book and I'm like, well, all right, I mean, we got to publish something and let's try to publish the least offensive thing possible. <laughs> like that was a concern. No, not at the time. Uh, but for me, you know, if I'm the editor today, <laughs> beyond saying, eh, no, the first thing I would do is take out this fucking plot line. Mm-hmm. Like, just get rid of it. Because it removes all of his agency as well. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, once you get to the end. Or I guess maybe, like, three quarters of the way through. Where everything he's doing and done has been because... Uh, so he's received this pretty scarab ring from mm-hmm. one of the Siamese twins who is leaving. Um, they're both leaving, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> No one's going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so he gets this ring and she's all like, oh, 
a goddess told me to give this to you in a dream. You know, and the sister's like, but you've had that ring for such a long time, blah, blah, blah. All right, so he's got this ring, and he immediately, like, when he takes it, he kind of blacks out a little bit, and they're like, April, sweetie, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And then he has his first fucking wet dream where this girl's are like, you're gonna find me. Eee! I've got titties. Look at these. Shake a shake a shake. <laughs> Don't you want to touch them? <laughs> Come touch me, Abel. Touch me. Don't you neglect me. Touch oh me. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so this like sets him on this whole path of like, well, maybe there's more for me out there than just this life. I want much more than this eventual <laughs> life. Right. So Abel's all like, I don't like living here. My life is bad and boring and nobody appreciates me. Not even my little friend here, Apollo. I'm going to have to, I'm going to take him swimming. Blah. I love Apollo. Oh, did you? <laughs> I did. Like okay. I had to love somebody. So I chose yeah. Apollo. But okay, so so this fucking ring, um, and he gets this ring, he decides he's gonna have to go out into the world and seek his fortune and make himself a man, because it's the 1890s. And we find out later throughout the whole fucking plot, right, that this ring, she has literally been manipulating him through this. And, like, I'm not mad at her, because she's not a real person in this book. Mm-hmm. She's just a fucking MacGuffin and a goddamn <laughs> catalyst and, like, everything possible somehow wrapped up in this one... Everything that is not a character wrapped up in yeah. one. She <laughs> she walks object. and talks, but that's about it. So, and then she's all like, yeah, well, he he he, actually, I'm the one that made you want to leave home so that you would come find me. You were not going to find me. I have so many questions about this. I have so many questions about this ring. Her So she, like, insinuates... That she's been trying to get to him and, like, steer him. She doesn't insinuate. She says she's been steering him with the ring. Yeah. She affects other people and influences them with the ring she so that they will... She, go into their dreams and shit. Yeah. So that they will yeah. funnel him towards her. That's a lot of fucking power there, lady. It is. So, like, she's had the ring for a long time. The, the lady gives it to Abel. Presumably that is part of what's her name's master plan. Tesseract. Because somehow she knew this lady would be in contact with Abel at some right? point before he's even um, born. Is this the see, first time the Abel's part, been right? reincarnated? Has she I been chasing like to know him down that. with this ring for years? How see, is that this would be working? more interesting. I mean, not entirely interesting, but that'd be more interesting to be like, I've tried to find you. I've tried to get the ring to you. You would think I've that's your assumption, around. right? Yeah. That's how these kinds of books work with reincarnation. Like you just do it over and over again. I just, I was always two stops behind you. I could never quite catch up to you. But right? like, like I know about Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Like I get it. <laughs> right. I've, I've read oh, stuff Oh, wait, like that. hold on. Wait, I just remembered a thing. Mm-hmm. Didn't she only just get like uncovered not too long ago? Maybe and that then, was like it. the professor died. Did he die on purpose? Perhaps she didn't really tell us. Uh, <laughs> and the wife was always jealous. Oh my you god! I know of him doing his work, and so she put me on the side of the road to go back to the museum. Like, this, fuck okay, you. I like to I like to think that that was just, and I, maybe it maybe it literally is. This just Tesseret being like, I'm just super hot. Like even as a mummy women just hate me because i've got <laughs> such great right? freeze-dried titties oh like, my god i hate those fucking lady characters who are like everybody hates me because i'm beautiful i just like to think that even like dried up mummy tesseret was just like yeah she couldn't handle this hot titties <laughs> <laughs> right so 
I like to think that she was manipulating her dreams to... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That gives her a little more agency. <laughs> that's that's my thought, is that she probably was manipulating the, the scholar to get him to fucking die because he was never going to let her go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that she manipulated the wife to be like, fuck this fucking mummy. He spent all his time with her and, you know. He loves the mummy more than me. Right. His last few months or years or whatever, he was just super obsessed with his work and we could have been spending that time together. Fuck him. Like, I'd be mad. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you are literally dying there, sweetie pie. Uh... Side note, though. 1890s. Guy has a legit Egyptian mummy. That's Mm -hmm. a big deal. That's a like, good this job is a too, big right? Historical find. Like if yeah. you're married to a professor of of this sort, to a you, scholar, you of this know sort, what you've got. You into. get it. You get. Yeah. You maybe you are also. I'm picturing like a, a Rick and Evie it. situation. Like yeah, maybe, maybe you are also a scholar. You understand, mm-hmm. right? Like instead, she's just painted as this like grumpy housewife. And it's I like, hate oh, that. Fuck you. The idea of like women who can't handle men who are devoting a reasonable amount of time to the sort of jobs that they have. Like women are just needy, yeah. unreasonable creatures who need your attention, attention constantly. Like no, yeah. she's the wife of a like an Egyptologist. Like. You get it. Uh-huh. I super head canon. This is all just Tezzeret telling us, oh, and she was jealous of, of me, and so I made her put me out on the side road. This wife, totally cool, continues on to do Egyptology work that her husband left behind. Uh-huh. Was really just trying to send the, the mummy back to the museum that owned her. Yeah, well. I mean, granted, there's some shitty shit there being yeah. like, we're gonna steal your dead, and we're gonna take you to America. Like, yeah, I mean, she should yeah. just go back to Egypt. A- 1890s <laughs> Egypt, British museum shit. Like, we get, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of that problem, and that's Mm -hmm. not even the worst problem. This Uh, is like three degrees of separation from the worst problem (laughs) in this book. Right? We're talking about minor characters who are only mentioned in passing now. Because this is how we have to like... (sighs) Like expand (laughs) out slowly. But okay, so I think that she fucking manipulated everything. And it's not that I hate Tezzeret. Again, she's just a fucking plot device. Mm -hmm. But... I think as a plot device, she's like, look, I want to live again. <laughs> yeah. It's whatever I can do to get to this this dude with the magic ring or the magic right? fingers or whatever the fuck it is. Make the guy accidentally keep drinking arsenic. Let's go. All right. Why do you think that uh, he's, he's hanging out too much in the museum and you're just like, I don't even want this mummy in the house anymore. Sweet. There's some dude coming down the lane. He's going to move me. He's Put a me weird skeleton man. Road. Yep. Just pick me up. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Put now what do I got to do? Trash. Where's my ring right because the way she talks about like she put me by the side of a highway and left me there she said side of the road i assume she was just out there with like some boxes from amazon like a discarded bed frame yes just being like i don't know someone will pick it up from the museum they better get here before the trash does or she's gonna be in the goddamn dump (laughs) fucking mummy with her freeze-dried beautiful tits Uh, but yeah, like that's I I totally pictured that too, where she was just like there with a bunch of fucking junk <laughs> that is actually like historical research, his fucking paperwork in a goddamn trash bag, like, not even baker's boxes, a fucking trash bag. Yep, just a fucking bag tied off, sitting there next to like the cat litter. <laughs> And then Dr. Mink comes along and takes her. Like, I really, truly believe all of that 
was just Tezzeret manipulating things. Yeah. Because, like, she does leave shit out here and there, and then, like, is like, well, okay, you know, let me tell you a little more, let me tell you a little more. It's like, I truly believe that this this gal is fully capable of being like, well, no one's gonna know that I'm manipulated. <laughs> I'm a mummy. Like, I've With been supernatural dead for 3,000 years. Like, this is not coming up in anybody's first theory, that's for sure. What are they gonna do? Arrest me and put me in jail? What? I gave him the cancer, and then his wife was mad. <laughs> like, pff, sue me. <laughs> right. Oh, God. So where was I? Yeah. All right. So talking about the fact that she manipulated everything to get to here. I don't think she's been out of the crypt that she was buried in for very long. Maybe like 10 years or something. This is fair because I was going to say that the, that the idea of him being reincarnated over and over, which you would think that he would do because he died in, in Egypt. It's been 3,000 years. That's a really long reset cycle if that's how long it takes. <laughs> right. If this is how it works. But if she has only been active for like 10 years, that makes that makes more sense. I retract my complaint about not having the <laughs> Hawkman cycles. It's fine. <laughs> There's more. Probably, though, he probably was com- like being reincarnated. Oh, yeah, no. But like the the idea that she's been chasing him with the ring for that long is yeah. it's not a problem anymore. Yes. And also, she she had the ring on her because there's distinct attention drawn to the fact that one of her hands had been freed uh, slightly enough and you could see her fingers. I thought she gave like, him the ring to bind she, them together or something. And then he gave it right, back at the end. did. Then why was that attention drawn to her hand? I don't know. Because what I was assuming was that she had given him the ring and enchanted it. And, like, I guess maybe if she had, like, dragged the ring off of him, like, when they were parting or whatever. Because it seemed like someone had probably taken the ring off of her finger when she was untombed. But you're right. You're right. It was given to him. I assumed that was just description. Well, Night Curse Class missed the boat on that one. I did skim a lot, so maybe Mm. it was important. I just didn't. Sadly, I read almost every word. (laughs) When I got towards the end, I was like, all right, speed read time, let's go. Yeah, I fucking, this thing. Anyway, okay. My theory is debunked. I was going to say maybe the ring has only been out as long as she has, but you're right, it was with him. Plus those ladies had had it for like literal years, so. Yeah, since before they had come to Fairyland. Yeah, I guess she would have had to have been out longer than like 10 years though, because if she had been guiding the ring to him... Ah, no. Okay, so did you read the part about Hathor and Isis blessing her? Yes. Okay. They said that she could go out into the world and stuff and go into people's dreams. Mm -hmm. So chances are pretty good that's what she was doing. Is while she was lying in her tomb with nobody around, she was probably manipulating the professor to come find her. I feel like there are parts of this book that probably address this, but I'm not going to go digging for it. Yeah, there probably potentially are, and maybe this was part of why the author was like, it took me forever to write it because I was trying to balance everything. But you know what would have saved yourself a lot of trouble? Cut it. Cut it. Just cut it. You don't need it. Just cut it. Just cut it. Just get rid of it. Put it in a different book and then don't publish it. Right. (laughs) Put it in a book. Put that book into a box. Set that box on fire. Bury the ashes. Mail that in box your to yourself. <laughs> and smash it with a hammer. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um, we love this book, guys. It's so good. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Let's talk about Tezzeret. 
Mm-hmm. And the way that her and Abel interact, and her literally being there to touch him, or oh. be touched by him. You, you mean how once he touches her, she starts magically coming back to life, and she's only able to sustain her life via physical contact with him, which usually involves mm-hmm. bonus. Oh, oh, I'm glad you brought this up, because I was personally delighted by how much confusion and horror Abel experienced by getting a boner over a literal mummy. (laughs) I loved it. It's so amazing because even Abel is like, wow, I feel like this is taking a step too far. She's got like lips now, but the rest of her is still pretty shriveled and yet it's still coming up. And I don't know what this (laughs) says about me. Right? Where he's like, is that all I need? I just need a pair of disembodied lips? That's... No, no, no. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> it got it got kind of weird because he was, like, talking about how she was wrapped up and bound mm-hmm. and how oh, he found no. that sexy oh, yes. and how he wanted to, like, oh. pin her to his target when she was helping him out with his knife practice. And I'm like, is Abel oh, also right? discovering kink? <laughs> like... I think he was. I think he was. He was like... I'm a little turned on by the fact that you can't move and I I get to feed you. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to throw knives at you and I'm just going to like pin you there with the knives, which are definitely not a stand-in for my penis. <laughs> I really like it that you're tied up. This is very hot to me. <laughs> you're totally just a sexy lamp. I don't need you to do anything but be sexy. It's still weird to me that you're kind of pruny and you don't really have fingers or, like, eyes yet, but I'd still tap it. But I know you're gonna. I've seen you in my dreams. I know that you are physically attractive. Therefore, I can get it up for you now. Right? Oh, my God. So, like, there's a good chunk of time, like, 50 fucking pages of... Her, like, slowly, like, I think Miss Lightfoot says, this is really strange. She's like a soaking bee. Yeah, She's yeah, getting, yeah. like, fuller. She's and I'm like, that's the best up. description. <laughs> yeah. Because she was just, she was a mummy. And um, Curse and the husband caught her cheating on him and blah, blah, blah. I have kept expecting Dr. Minker Cece to be the reincarnated version of the husband. To, like, maybe tie it in a little more? Uh-huh. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, but no, it's but not no. really a thing. Nope, nope. So there's like 50 pages of her slowly swelling up to human shape. <laughs> and I'm like reading this going, oh my God, you're, you're like literally waiting to be able to fuck this girl. That's all this is, is you being like, can't wait to fuck this recent corpse. <laughs> can't wait to fuck this mummy. Okay. Okay. But if you, if you'd think about it. In the context of this coming out in 2006, when we were doing, like, sexy witches and sexy mm-hmm. vampires, and sexy the mummies. fact that this is a sexy mummy book, but it is so literally, it's not even doing a thing where, like, we're first presented with this character's physical form with her being un- No, no, he's sitting there tapping his fingers while her body inflates, just waiting to be able to, for right? it to be socially acceptable for them to have sex. When can I put my penis in you? If you if you look at it as like a sort of parody on the idea of fucking monsters and when it's acceptable to fuck them, then it, it's kind of funny and I kind of appreciate it on that level. But also this is a terrible book and that's <laughs> right. probably not. But what instead we're doing. it's just him being like, Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't now. I don't know. She's got lips now though. We could probably do mouth stuff. <laughs> Something Abel would say. 
And honestly, that's something she would say. Because, like, she's sitting there and she's like, as I said, don't neglect me, which is the most ridiculous thing. (laughs) And, like, she's like, touch me, touch me. And she's, like, still a fucking, like full-on mummy and she's like grabbing his hand and like pushing his hand because her hands are bound not up over her chest but down like below her crotch and like he frees one hand and she like grabs his hand and the way it was described i thought differently i think the the way it was described was she just kind of grabs his hand and is holding Mm -hmm. it but he draws particular attention to the fact that like he was trying really hard not to touch her vagina (laughs) um actually would that be her her mom's pubis and um so he's trying really hard not to touch and she like grabs his hand and is like really close so at first i thought she had grabbed his hand and been like fucking touch me there kid you fucking touch me i can't wait i've got a hand you've got a hand you're right there please touch me so i can be a human being again Use your good time fingers. If you touch me there, it's like charging with a USB-C port. Like, it does it really fast. (laughs) This is Chobits. Hello. Turn me on. Oh my god, no. So there's also also a point, though, where... And she's still a mummy. Yeah. But uh, she's filling out. And he says that he, he watches, and I like to imagine that this happens while he's watching, but he looks at her chest and he realizes that she's got, like, boobs now. And I like the idea that he just watched them inflate. And then he, he what, was that? What, what was that? Death Becomes Her? or No, no, no. The um, Stepford Wives. Yeah. He touches. He's, he's looking at her boobs. And then he says something along the lines of, like, either she puts his hand there or his hand... Follows his hand, where his, his hand eyes follows were. where his it was that it was his hands followed where his eyes were and she's just like looking at him like yeah these are my boobs yeah. and he's just sitting there groping her in front of I've been everybody for three thousand years my hormones are raging I'm definitely only eighteen but also three thousand and eighteen hi <laughs> that's oh right Tezzeret is ridiculous like she part is of me ridiculous. loves how she is very empowered but at the same time i look at him like you're not actually because you really you're like i can literally feel myself coming to life every time you touch me let's go i know how this works yeah you're just a like a pubescent fantasy but Mm -hmm. the fucking ridiculousness of the fantasy (laughs) makes it kind of great yep oh it's so bad this book is a lot more fun when we're talking about that part and not the rest of it (laughs) Right. Well, we can be like, let's focus on this weird fucking fantasy of sexy mummies. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So if if this could have been, hey, we've got sexy vampires, and then ooh, we've got like a like a mid grade, you know, alien sci fi book, and then we've got sexy werewolves, and then we've got sexy mummies. If that could have just been the book, it would have been fine. So much better. Mm Hmm. And that's why it could have happened in modern day as well, because there's no need for this ridiculous fucking historical period. <laughs> just just have Abel in the year 2006 popping boners over <laughs> over his sexy mummy. Yeah, his sexy mummy that he's gonna bring to life. I mean, I do like that at the very end. There's Tesseret has a bit of existential horror. I got it, cause it's like, uh, cause I want to tell you how many pages. It's the second to last page. <laughs> okay, okay. 
So uh, they're there. Uh, they've just arrived in Maryland, and everybody's like unpacking. It's a big old thing. Which okay, wait, pause. So remember in like Silver Kiss when I was like, I really super respect the fact that Curtis Klaus is just like, I'm at school doing this thing. Later yes. on in the day, I was doing this other thing, and I was like, mind mm-hmm. blown. She does not do that in this book. Mm-hmm. Like. We need to know every little fucking step along Abel's journey. And I'm like, what happened? You were such a good writer. Side note. Remember how I was talking about an alien secrets that I really liked how everything was set up in the beginning and paid off in the end? Mm. She still does that in this one. But it happens constantly. Constantly. <laughs> where like Abel will mention as he's walking away that he hears something weird behind him. And it's just a casual thrown off line. And then later on, when uh, Apollo shows up, he's like, oh, that's what that sound was. It happens constantly. I'll be like, oh, that's what that was. Oh, that's, that's what, what that was. was. Like, yeah, I get, I get it. it. Leave room for us to figure yeah. it out. No, it's fine. Thank you. You set it up in the <laughs> yeah. beginning and that's I, how writing I works. I appreciate right? that. <laughs> and it's like, I would not read this a second time, but say it wasn't terrible. Then I would read it a second time and be like, Oh, that's a Oh, follow. that's what that was. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, everything that was good is bad <laughs> now. Continue. Yup. So, so they're sitting there, Abel and Tezzeret, and she goes, Abel, I don't have anyone but you. And for the first time, I understood that under her bravado lurked fear. Fuck you. I put my arm around her. Everyone will love you, I said. And what an act we make. I can see it now. You as my target on a spinning wheel in your mummy form. And as the wheel spins and my knives outline you, you change into the beautiful girl you really are. It will be a sensation. I'm afraid all this happiness will be taken away again, she said, that I will never be mistress of my own fate. I took the ring from my finger and pressed it into her hand. This is all that controls you, I said, and now it is yours. Once in another life, you gave it to me to bind us. It brought us back together across the centuries, and now I give it back. You can be bound to me or not, as you choose. Tezzeret touched my cheek. In that there is no choice, she said, and kissed me. And who's to say that the ring by itself has any power? Perhaps it needs to be worn by you. We stood silent with our own thoughts for a while. Will I age now, do you think? Tezzeret asked from a long, after a long sigh. Will I grow old with you? We don't know anything, do we? I answered. We must just live our lives and find out. She pressed the ring back into my hand. I will trust you with my new life. I cannot describe how I cherished her in that moment. The end. There's like another page of stuff, but like, that's her fucking existential crisis. The end. (laughs) I love that so much where she's like, wait, holy shit, I'm physically, I might be physically incapable. Like, if I ever get tired of this fucker, or he ever does something shitty to me. Because they'd only known each other for like, she said a few weeks and so i was thinking at max that's like six weeks someone would say a few months if it was two or three months and that is their pre-life where she decided to bind herself to him forever like she barely knows this dude but now even now when she has been resurrected from the dead and kind of not a mummy anymore but maybe sort of anyway it doesn't right, matter like her curse was like you have an undeath so she just like never died never went to the underworld just sort of shriveled mm-hmm. for years so like even now when she is physically capable of sort of walking the world herself she might be bound to this fucker right? forever and, and who knows if, she... if he's gonna get exactly. old and like gross or grow to dislike her right? he's he could be like uh 
even though I've got my fiance, I'm kind of interested in this chick right now. Yeah, but uh, you can't go anywhere because guess what? Got this here. Got ring. this ring. <laughs> and like, what if she gets older and he's like, "You're less hot," and then he's a weirdo about it because he mm-hmm, is. He's mm-hmm. such beauty essentialism. Right. Or alternately, what if she doesn't get older and he just becomes a gross, leering old man who sexualizes her and objectifies Uh, her like he does? What if he gets sick in like a year or two and dies because it's the 1890s? Oh my god. Yep, that's it. And now you're going to be in living undeath forever? Like, I was really hoping that once she was fully, you know, human and no longer a mummy, that that was going to- Once she finished airing up. Yeah, I I was hoping that was it for her. Instead, you've got this really fucking gross mega control over her life and her destiny. You get not even a full page because most of that page is Abel being like, nah, doll, it's going to be great. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be wonderful. (laughs) And she says like three things that are like, what if it's not great? And he's like, nah. Where you can hear the creeping horror in her voice. Yeah. (laughs) And that's it. That's all you get. (laughs) It would have been some kind of epilogue to see some kind of thing of like, I gave her the ring and it was fine and she and I grew old together and Fairyland succeeded, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the resolution we need to know about if we need to know anything is does this poor fucking girl get to live her life now? If you're going to introduce this existential horror in the like second to last page. (laughs) Annette Curtis Klaus, real good at existential horror. (laughs) Accidentally. (laughs) So, so the other thing is that, like, the Egypt thing conflicts somewhat with, like, the arc that we're told that Abel is taking. So at the end of it, he gets this whole revelation where he's like, oh, I wanted to go have adventure and be free, but I'm just too responsible for that. And I've, <laughs> I've learned that I can take responsibility and take joy in that, and that's okay. I mean, like, the ultimate thing that he comes to realize is like, no, nah, I'm just a real good dude. Right? At the end, they're all like, Abel's very steady and responsible and you can really trust him. I was like, was that what we were supposed to be taking? Because I didn't, I didn't get that. Like, I checked my notes on my paper, my calculations, <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't say steady. What I, what I saw was uh, this kid will only care about himself until he's really pressed by seeing children in trouble, mm-hmm. and then he'll get his shit together. It's fucking wild, the level of complicity that he's okay mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are several points points where he finds out that a circus is doing something shady but like he'll continually be like yeah but as long as I can just be part of this as long as I get paid it's fine like (laughs) even after he finds out about Dr. Mink's trafficking children or that he's trying Uh to like kidnap Apollo his priorities shift from okay I'm going to get Apollo out I'm gonna leave him in some (laughs) random town somewhere and mail like his dad contact my old boss the colonel and be like yo come get your boy yeah and then and i'm going to keep traveling with this right? sur- this guy and this circus that i know does shady things and like and then i'll just keep on it's good maybe someday he'll let me throw knives it's wild so like he has these moments where he sees 
like with a, a kind of modern perspective. It's so jarring every it, time. It is. He sees the the ways that Dr. Mink is exploiting the people in his show and how he's literally just displaying them like in a zoo because where he's from, the people do like acts and stuff. So this they are obviously paying to see like their bodies, but also like the people surprise them because like, oh, we can do stuff and we can perform and it's hey, supposed to be- Hey, actually human? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's supposed to be human humanizing and like giving them independence and stuff so like that is what he's used to and so seeing dr mink's thing where they literally just walk in and look at them sitting on chairs for Mm. him that's like the bad way to do this but but it's not bad enough that abel doesn't (laughs) want to participate (laughs) right that he doesn't like snag apollo and is like yo all right look i know your father beat you and so you oh ran away God. and chased after me because I'm your only friend. But what's different here versus where we grew up and you spent the first 10 years of your life, kiddo? He doesn't treat them like the humans they are? Cool. Maybe we should go somewhere else? Yeah. He could have just been like, yeah, Apollo, let's go. Let's get out of here. I don't like this. This place is shady. Let's get going. Because at the very beginning, they didn't really know about the other children. I mean, it's weird because Klaus is applying like a modern view and I'm I'm not arguing against when she wants to. When she wants to. And I'm I'm definitely not arguing against taking a more modern perspective on historical stories because like I don't want to be in the head of a protagonist who is as racist as people were at the time, right? right. Like that's not a book right. that I want to read. I understand why she did it. The problem is that the moralizing and like the the kind of inherent goodness finger quotes in Abel is contradicted by how selfishly he acts where like he will sit there and he will say this is a bad circus I don't like it you guys do bad things but I still want to perform in it so yeah 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 but maybe you'll give me my chance and that is just such a fucking white dude thing it really is it's like so like I'm seeing what you're telling me and I can sort of see bits and pieces of it. But, like, Abel's internal narration doesn't jive with that. Because he's no. such a prick. He really is. And, like, there was definitely some some reviews where I was looking at where they're like, I really liked Abel, but I DNF'd this book. And I'm like, oh, you really liked Abel? I know, question mark, why? <laughs> can you explain? Right. I don't explain what you liked about him. Because uh, the literal first line of this book is... When a boy's first romantic interlude is with Phoebe, the dog-faced girl, he feels a need to get out into the world and find a new life. This is what you're introducing us on? Mm -hmm. A dude being like, gosh, first girl I kiss, she's literally (laughs) dog-faced. Oh, I love Abel. He's so good. He's such a good, responsible boy. Abel's just like, I gotta find me some better boning prospects. Right? And treats Phoebe like dirt. Oh my god, Phoebe was really confusing. And this is another side thing that doesn't actually matter to the plot of the story. But like, so let's talk it. Yeah. So he like like Phoebe is literally just there as a kiss object. He doesn't mm-hmm. like her. She clearly is, if not into him, just like expects a certain level of respect from him. Yeah, where she's like, yo. I'm kissing you. This is the 1890s and I'm kissing you. My life could literally be ruined by this. So I'm going to need you to like show some proper interest here. Yeah. I didn't just kiss you because I thought I should kiss you. I kissed you because I like you. (laughs) Right. Whereas Abel is just there like, well, she's the only girl my age. I got to get this thing wet somehow. But But she won't let me touch them boobies. So like he spends the first... 
<laughs> he spends the first few chapters making it super clear. Not into it. Doesn't want it. She's getting too serious for him. Pushes her away. Like, makes her really sad. And then she sends her brother, uh, Apollo, after him with a letter that is basically like, I regret to inform you that I have been affianced to affianced. someone else and I, I hope that you won't be too hurt by it. And if you had made your intentions clear, it might be different, but blah, blah, blah. It, you know, she's like, yeah, I, we're done. Bye. Later. Bye, and he gets later. so mad. He gets so mad. For the so rest mad. of the book. For the rest Anytime of the Phoebe, book. If Phoebe's name is mentioned, he's like, grumble, grumble. And like, Apollo will mention it. Like, this is not like him bringing up some rando stranger that he buries. Like, this is his sister. And he's like, oh, super tactless of him to mention his sister to me. She just broke up with me, even though I hated her. Didn't even actually though we weren't together her. and I didn't want to talk to her. Even to the last page. Like, the second to last page. He's like, she's gonna be all distant to me now. Yeah, that hussy who toyed with my heart. I hope she sees this hot Egyptian girl that I'm with and she gets jealous. Look at this sexy lamp. And I'm like, you magical piece of shit. Like, Mm -hmm. we are on the last few pages. I've just had to endure several paragraphs about what a great (laughs) guy you are. Right, and you throw right in at the end your fucking beauteous angelism. Oh my god, I hate him so much. I understand that teenagers are are fickle and and you might decide once you've been cast aside that maybe you do want that person or even if you don't, you get like those hurt feelings, whatever. But this is like months and several adventures and a hot new Egyptian girlfriend later. Mm -hmm. Get over it. Your petty bitch ways. Leave Phoebe alone. Leave her alone. (laughs) And then Phoebe is going to marry a man who basically has the the same thing. The monkey man. Which, I mean, that kind of sucks for Phoebe, doesn't it? Doesn't have any right? choice. Just going to be married off to this dude who has the same <laughs> genetic condition she does. Right? The dad's all, all like, and then if you have kids, then they can keep in the family business. Like, wow, yeah, basically, fuck you. Yeah. Not just, yeah, whatever. It's cool. I like this guy. We happen to have the same hereditary thing. And so we both, like, get each other. And that's cool. No. You're basically, like, fucking being bred. That's gross. Right, and but no, we gotta focus on Abel's hurt feelings and not the fuckery that's going on with Phoebe's <laughs> life. That's like such a good like summation of Abel, right? Where it's like Abel has his feelings slightly hurt a tiny bit, and suddenly everything else that other people are going through, the fucking ridiculous yeah. hardships in their lives, don't, don't matter. matter because of the slight inconvenience or alienation <laughs> that Abel is feeling. That is this book in a nutshell. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, there's a phrase about, like, your discomfort should not supersede the actual hurt of others. Mm-hmm. That's able. Mm-hmm. That's this book, and that's how these books get written a lot, where where it's, like, a privileged perspective of, oh, but I also have problems. It's like, well, yeah, you do. But if you're in a, a book that is examining the problems of other people... Yours are not the biggest problems, Yeah, yours perhaps. don't compare there, buddy. Yeah, right. So, like, Phoebe's fucking plot is, I live at at Fairyland. Everybody's, you know, it's all good. We're all friends and family here. But my dad's an abusive, super religious dude. And 
I still sneak off and kiss the cute boy over there. But I kind of try to ask him, you know, hey, you want to, if you want to say something to my dad, you should. Because, like, I can't say it, but, like, he definitely wants to fucking set me up with this dude I've never met who also has the same hereditary stuff going on so that we can just pump out fucking babies on purpose for him. <gasps> Please, Abel, say something. <laughs> I mean, and that's another thing where, like, a book from Phoebe's perspective would have been so much better at, at doing what Klaus wanted to accomplish with this book. Right? Imagine if Phoebe was the character who was like, alright, you know what? I really don't want to get married to a dude I've never met. And uh, I don't want to be used as a baby factory. Like, I, I have wants and goals and hopes and fears and dreams. Fuck this! I'm out! I'm a quote-unquote dog-faced girl. I can go to any any sideshow, any circus that will take me and start over and not be controlled by this dude who right. is beating people. And then her brother follows and is like, but Phoebe, you're my sister. Please don't leave me alone with dad who's an asshole. Mm -hmm. And then you actually have more sympathy, right? Because then it's like this girl extricating herself from this situation that's damaging and like yeah. there's angst over like, oh, maybe I can't help my brother, but maybe I'll come back from him. And it's not just like some rando dude who's like, super capable of uh existing like totally fine on the outside world who's just like yeah mm, yeah fuck my friend who's being abused he's annoying and he'll just drag me down i'm out oh god right little kid dragging me down go back home to be beat by your papa i mean it's definitely like so specifically in the first uh situation where like abel goes to a circus that is not like for disabled performers yeah. it's like oh like supremely <laughs> we thought abel was ableist we get there and they're like you're the devil if you're different oh yeah. yeah 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 they're like we'll throw you in an asylum it's probably for the best so he goes to this like hyper ableist circus where it's all about ability and everybody's and super pretty and strength it's like there was all of that back home abel you dickwad oh yeah there's we'll put a fucking pin in that anyway <laughs> He goes there and he's like, oh, I'm going to, uh, everybody else is pretty like me and I'm going to uh, wow them with my ability. And like, he specifically gets mad at Apollo who kind of stows away and follows him because Apollo and is helping him and is helping him and Apollo because Apollo and his looks are going to fucking like crimp his style. And I'm like, right? you monster piece of shit. I thought you were supposed to be a good dude. Yeah. This is, alright, so we, we read uh, that shitty fucking series, well, we read the first book with, like, everybody uh, back in the day, what the fuck was it called, with the wolves, the dog people, and the cat people, and the horse people. Oh, uh, Moonchosen. Moonchosen, okay. So in Moonchosen, the main character is the same fucking way as Abel, in my opinion, where it's like, she grew up surrounded by, like, the people of color, and is herself half treeple tree people mm -hmm. and she's all like well i look at my face and i look at my mother's face and i see like i've got very delicate features i have these high cheekbones my mother is so ugly let me talk let me let me just i'm going to code all of my words to be like mm, i don't really like people of color i like the whites <laughs> and that's not how it fucking works she would be like Ugh, oh my god my nose is so small my cheeks are like so fucking pointy and like Ugh, i'm paler than them and my hair is so fucking limp like she would not have 
been exoticizing her mm-hmm. own looks. Mm-hmm. And Abel does the same thing where, like, he grows up around all of these people and he, like, he just looks and is like, well, I'm better. Because I'm, <laughs> quote, whole fucking. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I feel like Klaus does that better. In in Moon Tozen, the main character is almost completely alienated from the treeple, right? She sees, like, little bits and pieces of them. She... They're, yeah, she she's like not really allowed to be around with right. too, too much. Her self-worth and her self-image should be more deeply rooted in the values of, of her tribe, right? So like that's she's completely isolated. It works better or it works worse because she did it worse because the PC cast is racist. But Yes. <laughs> but the one thing we can say about Abel is he's not a PC cast character. That's true. <laughs> oh my god, that fucking low, low bar. Um, but I can understand a little bit more Abel's perspective here because he grows up among the people in Fairyland, but he also has to go out into the town. He sees, like, different types of life. And them all being like, you're probably weird too, kid. Yeah. And he also sort of does devalue himself physically. A little, sort of, sort of, in, in comparison to, like, the people in his, his troop. Right, because in the beginning, he's like, I don't have, there's nothing special about me. Nobody wants to come see my body. I have right. marginal marginal knife-throwing skills, but that's not <laughs> enough to get me, like, a place in the show. Here. So right. he has... These people do stuff, and, like, you're like, wow, cool, you've got, like... You look different. Yeah, you've got, like, your your, your twin brother's legs hanging out of your, your side. Cool. Right. This is intriguing. People come because, like, of your looks, but they stay because of your talent. Abel's like, well, I don't have looks, and I've not yet built talent. Not great talent. Um, (laughs) So, like, he does have kind of a complex about that. So, like, that's better. But the thing is that as soon as he goes out into the world, this character who is supposed to, like, value the the people in his show like the people that he grew up around who's like his whole thing is supposed to be like i grew up around these people like i know that they are people and they're not like all simple whatever who need to be in asylums and they're not people who just need to be ogled like they have Mm -hmm. talent they have valuable but that's supposed to be his grounding but as soon as he goes out into the world he's like yeah it sure is nice to be around people who are all super pretty yeah Yeah. i'm liking this Oh look, they're gonna say something about the uh the kinds of people that are my family. I'm gonna keep quiet. My able bodied silence is filling this room. And it's like we see you, Abel. <laughs> we literally see inside your head. <laughs> it's just he's not a great dude, but we're supposed to think that he's just real cool because he grew up with family who are supposed to have imbued him with this knowledge of the value of people. <laughs> of but, humanity. Right, but he still has the shitty no. standards that, like, everybody else has, so, like, maybe fuck yeah. you. And, like, there's there's part of the journey that were this story something else, I could appreciate the sense of, like, yep, this is what I was grown to to know. And then I get out into the world and I'm being challenged and I fail myself and my learning. But over the the course of this book, I'm going to be like, yeah, no, uh, that was me being not true to myself, et cetera, et cetera. Like I can see, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a plot. That's a journey. People do Mm -hmm. it all the time. People live that. (laughs) Yeah. 
But this just, there was not the skill to do that. And it just felt like him being like, oh, thank God, I can finally pretend that I am normal. And always was and don't know anybody who isn't. Yep. Okay, okay. So, like, I actually have the first time that he goes into the circus, he says, uh, the, the, like, ableist circus. This was a very different show from the one I had left. How perfect in form all of the participants were. Nothing less beautiful than a tubby clown graced the arena. All limbs were present, all flesh firm, and the costumes were cut to display this pulchritude. Pulchritude? Pulchritude. A man could become dizzy with the display of legs. Nothing less beautiful than a tubby clown? Like, you're supposed to understand that your family is beautiful, but you're still, like, how perfect in form. Like, well, are your parents, like, perfect in form? You're still using these ableist terms, even though you're supposed to know better is the problem. Mm -hmm. The way that it's it's framed Mm -hmm. reveals to us that is how he thinks. And it feels like that's not able Right, exactly, exactly. Jump back real quick, too. That's where the sexuality stuff becomes there, too, where it's like, this is probably not able speaking. This is the author sexualizing this character's thoughts. Like, Yeah, it's gross, and it's out of character, and it doesn't work with the thing that she's trying to create, so it just ends up undermining it and making it worse. And when it's out of character, but you don't really know the character because he's not had a chance to be anything... Mm -hmm. You just feel tugged all over the place and sit here going, well, what am I supposed to think of this kid? I guess I'm just going to fucking hate him. Yes, no, it's out of the idea of the character. And because it is, it makes the character worse because they're a jerk. Mm-hmm. He's very much a jerk. Ugh. Where do we go from here? Because there is still so much. There's a lot. Um. Well, all right. So I had a not brief list of words. Okay. So the words that I had that this book was are, this book is ableist, mm-hmm. this book is racist, mm-hmm. this book is fat phobic and fat shaming. Which is not new. Nope. We have discussed that before. Alien Secrets, that was a big problem. Uh, this book is transphobic. That was an unexpected one. Right? I just looked because I was like, let me see. I checked the 150 mark. Mm-hmm. All of the characters are not yet introduced. All of the main, like, supposedly mm-hmm. important characters mm-hmm. are not yet introduced on nope. page 150. No. Nope. It's like page 154, but still, <laughs> page 150, and you still haven't introduced people, and you're just gonna suddenly, now we're gonna get some goddamn transphobia. Oh my god, I know. <sighs> this book is misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book is, the, as we've discussed, male gaze constantly. Like, how many times does this character have to think about his fucking dick? Mm-hmm. This book includes child slavery. It includes adult slavery. This book includes sex worker shaming. And giant trigger warning for an intense discussion of homophobia and child molestation. Okay, so if you really don't want to hear that because like some awful shit we're gonna put in the description where you can jump ahead to all right see you on the other side this book includes hints that child rape have happened to two characters within their recent backstory does it i was wondering if you picked up on this okay all signs point to moses the frog boy Mm -hmm. 
and Willie, Mr. Northstar's son, mm-hmm. both have very particular responses to the character that is transphobic. Ugh, and God. there's discussion about uh, Moses being like, I don't cry, and he tries to be really strong, and he like storms off a lot. And um, one character points out when um, the ca- when CC is the name of the character, people following along at home, uh, when <laughs> CC is holding Apollo and kind of threatening him, one of the bodyguard dudes is like, let the boy go, you pervert. There's discussion when the character shows back up all hopped up on laudanum about how you took my little boys away from me. I did catch that part. I wonder. Mm-hmm. And uh, Willie at one point in the very beginning when we first truly meet him and Abel's like, hey, do you know what a secret is? And he like backs away into the corner and is like, that's when you don't tell. God. And Abel's like... Ugh, I really don't like the way that kid responded. I'm really sad about the fact that he knows what a secret is. And I put this all together, and Cinna, yes. This is the hint that the two, I think, little black boys have been being molested by the ostensibly trans character. God. Duh. I, I know that that belief of if you are gay, you were molested by somebody of the same sex as you... And therefore, all gay people are molesters is not an uncommon one. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I don't want to say it's something that people don't believe anymore, but I particularly remember that being like a thing that people just knew back in like the 90s. That mm-hmm. this was just like the opinion. Yeah. 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 So this grossed me the fuck out because I was like picking up on it early on. And then when Cece was all like, you took my little boys from me. Do you think you're a big man? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why? Why did we go this route? Yeah, it's, man, I don't want to make assumptions and stuff. But yeah, it's come up a lot. And it's not, it would not surprise me if that was something. Yeah. yeah, and, like, that was another thing that, like, didn't need to exist. It really didn't. There's a lot of these, a lot of these touches that are particularly gritty that yeah. were not necessary. Right, like, the plot is not about, I'm gonna save these children from, like, their abuser. No, it's about, these kids have been kidnapped and let's get them back to their families and or to safety. Because, like, you show up to the, the children and... They're, like, living in squalor in a literal feces-infested, urine-soaked wagon. Mm -hmm. And then, like, they've been locked in there. And then we're gonna start throwing the hints of that plot. Mm -hmm. Hey again, Backlist and Chill listeners. I know I just mentioned a trigger warning, but now we're about to talk about all of the terrible transphobia in this book, inherent in both the characters and the author, And uh, we're going to do our best here to talk about a very delicate subject dealing with some really just gross stuff. Like the worst things you can think about transphobia and how that manifests. It's that. It's that. It's that. So. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to know. Yeah. If you don't want to hear it. All right. (sighs) Be safe. We don't need that. They could have just been kids who were locked in there and they were like, we're hungry. We haven't been fed all day. Like, I didn't need children wallowing in filth who had been abused by an older man who uh, 
by the way, for the intent, uh, for the purposes of this, I'm going to just go with this character is not trans and is uh, ap- appropriating trans stuff because yeah. to talk about this character as a trans man or trans woman or a gender queer you person, can't. it's just too much. You can't. I ha- yeah. I need this character to just be a cis dude who is comfortable with sometimes pretending to be a woman. Uh, I mean, like, he's not a good dude, but they were, like, after they killed him, they were hopping around with his corpse. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. We can't do this. No. (laughs) No. For this character to be anything but a cis person is just too much. fucking ghoulish. Ghoulish is the correct word. There's, like, a moment where the children are laughing and cackling uh over the this character's death and i'm like well yes this person abused you but also what the fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> holy shit no i it is definitely one of those things like similar to blood and chocolate we're like we're like if you read this in a certain way it's a fucking horror story that reflects incredibly horrifyingly bad honest author Yeah, and truly, I think that, like, while you and I are discussing this, the best examples for this character to present it to the listeners is is to just read from Mm -hmm. the book, to let it stand on its own as, hey, check this shit. Literal shit. So, we're introduced to a character that... Abel sees at first and notes a discrepancy in the way that he looks and the way that he carries himself, and is explained thusly. Oh, he calls himself Cecil Cecilia, like he's a girl and a boy, growled Bess. But we call him Cece for short. He says he's a hermaphrodite, but his real name is Theodore- Pause. So now we're about to dead name him? Yes. I mean, also, just the inherent disbelief in he says he's a hermaphrodite. Right. He says he's a hermaphrodite, but his real name is Theodore Spittle from Hoboken, New Jersey, and he's as male- Now let's just dox him. (laughs) And he's as male as you, or do you have a secret? And then she, like, looks at his fucking crotch. Yep. (sighs) That is how he's introduced. Yup. And slightly before that, uh, we had seen this character uh, step out from one of the caravans and Abel says, I wasn't sure what this person could be for it. Wore a flowered wrap and a turban, but walked like a man in a man's boots. Yeah, Abel, even after being told what the situation is, initially refers to Cece as it. And mm-hmm. then, like, the he-she. Like, right, where is the he-she? And you're like, what the fuck? And then, uh, from then on, defaults to he. At first, I was thinking, I was like, you know, it would have been better to just call Cece they, but I'm like, sh- sure, maybe that's really out of historical context and you were putting so much in historical context. Blech. But then I'm like, you know, I'm cool with just saying he because... If this was actually a thing that Cece, you know, lived with, then to make this character into the most over-the-top villain possible in this book is just unnecessary, 
gruesome. Mm -hmm. And as a as a queer person and someone who identifies as non-binary, just really, I want to light this book on fire. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to assume that he is a cis dude who tucks some of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's and and the way that he is a bad guy too is very specifically like scummy in a way that focuses on his being like a a trickster, like a a con artist sort of person. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, uh, am I a woman? Am I a man? You don't know. And that plays into a lot of the the transphobia yeah. out there of guys being like, well, I was tricked mm-hmm. by this woman who's actually a man and it's like well fuck you because like again if Cece was maybe just a woman who happened to have a penis like there's no good there's no way this book would have would have done that um but like for everyone to be calling her him mm-hmm. and for her to be doing untoward things to children mm-hmm. and to be a laudanum drinking murderer to be all of these things and a woman who is trans is just too much. It's it's very strange to me because they, uh, they, Klaus, does this thing where she, the point of this character ultimately is that he is appropriating the act and the stigma of the other finger quotes freaks and that that is a gross, like, right. degrading thing, which I I agree, that's a shitty thing to do. Yes. Um, so that- It is, however, rooted in transphobia. It is. And so, like, that is, that is the point of this character. But if you take that reading as applying to, oh, well, trans women are appropriating womanhood and then we uh, get trying to take on, like, an oppression that is not theirs, like- these are some real turfy ideas that mm-hmm. manifest mm-hmm. in this character. Yeah. There's like a, scenes, like, so like, Cece does uh, his act during the day and Mink is like, man, you can come back at night for a private show. And I thought that was just kind of a joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. But then like, Cece performs like a burlesque striptease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, oh boy. And like, Abel's sitting there chatting about how the men seem to be forgetting that he might be a boy. Mm-hmm. And, like, everybody's all, like, leaning in and getting lusty because there might be titties. Mm-hmm. And this is also, like, going off of, like, the fetishization yeah. of trans women. It's a real gross vibe because you also get the distinct vibe that if something goes wrong, this turns into a fucking mass murder. Fight. Murder? Right? Like, Abel's sitting there going... Oh boy, there's gonna be some fists thrown because in the striptease, Cece like removes one veil, of course, from one side of his chest and reveals like the flat-sided chest of a dude, and and people are laughing and like ha ha ha, and then he's like, well shit, they're gonna be mad because they just like we're getting getting hornied by like a dude oh no they're gonna be like fuck you but then then cc removes the other veil and and maybe that's a titty kind of looks like it could be maybe it's just the way he's hunching his shoulder 
but oh no, people are still getting kind of rowdy. And one dude's like, is that it? And then like, he starts removing the ones up his legs higher and higher. And Abel's like, even I'm leaning in. And it's just like, he goes from, oh, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. People are going to get murdered. Everybody's going to be dead. Mm -hmm. To like, we're going to see what's going on down there. I'd really like to know. And it's like, fuck you. That also, like, the obsession with genitals here as, like, Uh a way to... To, like, prove one way or another. Mm -hmm. And, like, the idea that when he's first introduced, that Bess is like, well, he says that he's a hermaphrodite, but he's got a dick, so that means that he's a dude. Like, fuck you. Even if Bess was like, yeah, we used to fool around back in Jersey when, like, we were part of the same act and then we all left with Mink. Like, even if that and being like, yeah, I know he's got a dick. Like, maybe you don't know everything. Like, but also don't disclose. (laughs) Well, yeah, that. But also that wouldn't change the way that he identifies if he was a trans character and not what this character is supposed to be on the face of it. If you just close your eyes and don't look any further. (laughs) right if you're like i'm gonna take you face value because cc could be a trans woman who has a penis and best could have you know been like yeah i know because like we're performers and you ever kind of accidentally see each other's junk but like if cc says i am both a man and a woman fucking believe them Mm -hmm. well and so that's okay that's the also the gross part right because it comes up at the very end um Abel says, as he's explaining his stupid, stupid Egyptian reincarnation love story, (laughs) he says, The wonderful thing about the show folk I grew up with was they took a person's story at face value, (laughs) even if the tale was unlikely. If that's what you wanted to be, fine. It's how you acted in the now that counted, not what you may have done and been in the past. And there's a lot to be said for believing in your own tale to make your act come alive. Like, you have literally proven to us that you do not do that. Exactly. Like, I mean, you could you could say that, like, oh, Cece was a shitty person, and, and, like, that's why they didn't believe. But, like, it doesn't work. Right. You don't get to pick and choose who you believe is a trans person. God, it's such a mess. They could easily, if they, if she's trying so hard to, like, apply modern sensibilities of, of like, racism and misogyny and, and ableism and stuff, that could be an easy justification for why they fucking believe Cece. Like, that's right. it. Like, it's right there. Maybe even if Abel was the fucking Gary Stew of the book, where, like, he came from this place and we knew from the fucking beginning that people just believed you. That's who you are. That's what you've done. If we knew from the beginning that's where he was coming from, when he gets to this place, if most people were transphobic fucking assholes and were like, oh, yeah, no, he's a dude, and Abel was like, what, why would you say that? I thought they were both genders. And they're like, oh, well, because he does shitty shit. And then for Abel to be like, ah, that's not cool. Hmm, that wouldn't fly where I came from. I feel weird about this. You know, I'm gonna just, like, believe Cece. To, like, have Abel extend any kind of, like, attempt at connection to this character, Mm -hmm. rather than having Cece just be this one, not even two, one-dimensional villain. Because not even just antagonist. Fucking villain. Mm -hmm. Murdering people. Doing horrible things to children, like, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. appropriating other people's marginalizations. Like, instead of all of that, 
if Abel was like, I'm gonna call Cece by the appropriate pronouns, and I've got literally no reason to not trust that, mm -hmm. even if I think Cece's an asshole, and oops, even though, like, I'm being good to this person in one way, they're pissed off, maybe they were making a couple extra dollars uh, a week to be in charge of the kids and make sure they were okay, and also was, I don't know, skimming off the top on the money for the children to be fed and whatnot, like, and now they're pissed because he's, like, taken their little extra bank. <laughs> <laughs> like, for him to have just believed Cece and have had real conflict that was nothing to do with any kind of erasure mm -hmm. of Cece's identity. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, it's such a tough thing to talk about because you can see in the places where this character could probably have just had a fucking horrible existence, right? Yeah. But they're characterized as such, like you said, a villain, but specifically a deviant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything about Cece's life is this this deviant pervert. Yeah, it's deviant, it's perverted, and it's not a character that you can defend because they're terrible. But right. also, like, it makes it hard to talk about the ways that this character could, theoretically, if you don't take it at face value, have been wronged by the narrative. <laughs> right. Right. Because in the book, Cece's just terrible. Yeah from the meta or in the book regardless cc is just terrible and like not necessary yeah no that's the other thing this character and this character's whole transphobic shit did not need to be in here it didn't add right. anything the fact that she added him is a super problem like the yeah. fact that she centered his identity around like, ooh, am I a man? Am I a woman? And that that is called out as appropriating the marginalization of the other characters. Like you said, it smells super turfy. And yep. I would not be surprised. Mm -hmm. And like, we had like, kind of good that uh, Annette Curse Klaus doesn't social media or do anything these days. Because like, you and I would be analyzing every tweet being like, <laughs> all right. Who do you follow? Yeah, right. Who follows you. Like if you if you went through the, her tweets and like found like a J.K. Rowling level like right. turfy connection, like, then be like, well, that mm -hmm. explains it. Be like, we done. Yeah. <laughs> Case closed. But instead, all we have is this narrative that is like, mm, smells bad, probably bad. I'm gonna believe who you say you are, which is being a fucking transphobic jerk. I feel like the real clincher is how unnecessary this whole thing is. Yeah. Again, as the editor of this book, being like, fuck, what do I do? I've gotta, I gotta help this author with this manuscript. It's gotta be turned in. We've got a deadline. I say to the author, do you really need CC? <laughs> And then the author says, well, yes, because there were people who did this act, blah, blah, blah. And I say, cool, cool, cool. All right. So this is what it sounds like is going on with the kids. This is, let me show you what this character doesn't have, which is an entire, like, fucking life. Why don't we just have Dr. Mink as a problem? Yep. And his bodyguard mm -hmm. as a problem. And if you really need anything going on, like, have them do problems, mm -hmm. but also leave the kids alone, except, like, maybe you don't feed them and you lock them up and you forget to clean them. Like, mm -hmm. that's all good. We don't need the other shit. Because, and, and if the author then says, well, but he murders 
best and that's such a big important thing and that's why blah blah and I go no no it really doesn't matter I promise you best not being around did nothing yeah that was unnecessary too the other thing when like they're in the barn and and Cece shows up so like the kids all get away and a couple of the good adults and Abel and his mummy they get away and they're like in the barn and they're like painting the wagon that they stole and whatnot and then Cece shows up and is all uh, hopped up on laudanum and uh Abel does a murder an accidental murder and Uh again literally no reason that scene didn't need to be there they could think they could get away except they would be doing it like during the daytime that was weird too because like the resolution there of Abel being the one to murder Cece that was like something that you would have expected to go to Mr. Bop to kind of resolve that plot thread. But no, instead he just shows up, Abel kills him, and they leave. But they were going to yeah. leave in the morning anyway. Right, so it's like you could have just been like, okay, it's nighttime, they leave in the morning, but oh look, Earl's there, and he's like, oh, I'm supposed to stall you until something or other. Like, there was no reason for Cece to show up then. I mean, you could have even, if they needed, like, another external threat to, like, I don't know, make it exciting and get things going, they could have just given all of Cece's plot threads to the guy that I thought would get all of Cece's plot threads, that, um, the con man with the mice. Billy? Yeah. Yeah. I was yep, like, they... why was he even there if he wasn't right? gonna also be, like, a bad dude? Yeah. Instead, he was just kind of, like, a person who worked there. And, like, <laughs> what a weird time to go for potential realism of like well i guess not everybody's a total asshole and not everybody's totally good like billy's a little bit of a con man he does his mice game but like he's not he's just kind of there he doesn't do anything if anything he is there to kind of keep the performers from like unionizing because there are moments where someone was chatting about i think it was mr bob raging about uh dr mink Mm -hmm. And Billy's like, hey, don't say anything bad about him. Because Billy's like, yeah, no, we're going to get rich and famous. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And to just to have someone who's like a sycophant keeping the enslaved performers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they introduced him, they introduced him in that way where like, oh, yeah, he, he okay. he's not outwardly hostile, but he's, you know, on Mink's side. I thought, OK, yeah. this is going to be the guy who goes out and like kidnaps kids from. Yeah, right, OK. Right. But then, no, that's fucking Cece. And then Cece is introduced after this dude to fill this right? role. And Sweet doesn't do anything except show up nope. to manhandle people a couple times, which could have been accomplished by Mink's other bodyguard. So yeah. why? There is zero reason for Cece as a character. Like, I don't know why an editor didn't cut this character, except for probably just being like, oh yeah, we have a very clear, obvious, over-the-top villain, and we've got a little action going on, and blah blah. Like, they probably were just drawn in, because chances are that the editor was also maybe a white woman. (sighs) It's It's a real problem. And it's so wild because it was 2006 and everybody else was perfectly happy erasing trans people. <laughs> like, what? Right? Instead, Annette Curtis Klaus is like, what if, hear me out, villain? What if no purpose but to murder and harm people? Hmm? 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 <laughs> that sounds like good representation. It's fucking wild. I, ugh. Right. Right. There's so much about this book that is so bad. And there's so many plots And it's so unnecessary. Like, nobody needs to read this book. Nobody should have written this book. It's bad. 
she just goes about it in the most white savory way of having like this able-bodied character who is simultaneously mm-hmm. learning about the value of disabled people while also knowing and championing them the whole time. I know at one point I was like, you know who'd be a better uh, protagonist of this? Apollo. And I still stand by that for this particular terrible plotline mm-hmm. that Apollo's viewpoint is way more interesting than Abel's because like he is actually a uh, a performer and lives in the world with like hello you meet me and I I've got hair all mm-hmm. over my face his side is more interesting he's got to sneak around at the like the fancy circus and like make Abel's bed and leave him some apples and he like goes and hangs out with the elephants so like if this was a mid grade book and you removed mm-hmm. all the absolute fucking shit it could be kind of cute with him following after and stuff. But once you've reached the children, Apollo's just a pawn again. Like, he doesn't have any agency. He thinks he does. This is stupid. I will I will take your Apollo and raise you a Phoebe. Well, oh yeah, after chatting, that is way better. I mean, still probably not the right person to tell. It's still gonna need to cut Cece as character. Just still get, gonna get need them it. out of there. Don't need it. Right. Like, so I think Phoebe breaking free from her like controlling abusive father leaving an arranged marriage to go out into the world on her own and whoopsie doodle your little brother sister we can change apollo's gender too (laughs) uh chases after you and you're like fuck what am i gonna do i'm definitely not gonna send my sibling back home to the abusive father Mm -hmm. to have it be phoebe struggling with well what can i do i've got this 12 year old kid with me whoops now i'm responsible I really didn't think when I was leaving. I was just like, I'm getting out of here. And to have the the Egyptian plot line, have that just be that, that's that like, fine, fine. I would definitely make it queer and be like, <laughs> in my dreams, I'm like some dude. And like, there's this beautiful woman there and I don't know why I really like her. I didn't think of myself that way. <laughs> but just cut most of the ridiculous over the top villainy stuff. So, like, something else that I think I would change, slash, is kind of a problem looking at, like, the the ethos of the story as a whole. That Abel, who is supposed to love and value his family, goes out into the world and is attracted to, slash, rewarded only with beautiful, able-bodied women. Right. And that is his love story, and that's his reward for coming back home where right. in fact he gets a super beautiful woman right right like an in inhumanly beautiful woman who has magic everyone who sees her is like what i would remove the egypt shit and then right. if you need to have a romance maybe make it a romance between performers in this show where yes. you show that you can also have connection like connection and they're pretty good about showing like these characters all having relationships amongst one another where like yeah. they have these desires and they're they're valued in, right. in that way and like one of the problems with Bess being murdered was that uh beyond it being gross is that like Bess was a uh, a dwarven bearded lady and she was I mean ostensibly married as far as I'm concerned even though they were probably not like legally married to uh, the character Mr. Bop who had no no arms and no legs and like 
that was a good relationship. The two of them were together. Right. And then there was Miss Lightfoot, who had a dermatological condition that made her skin look like a crocodile. And then Mr. Ginger, who had, like, his brother's head coming off of his head. And, like, and they found love throughout the course of it. But no, Abel gets the beautiful lady. Yeah. Fuck. You know, you know how to redeem the Cece character? Make Cece actually a trans woman. Have her be around Abel's age. Uh, or, or Phoebe's. Phoebe's. And, Don't with Phoebe on this one. And not a total scumbag. Mm-hmm. But just as, like, a character that people are kind of weird about because they're all a bunch of fucking, like... Let's not be transphobic maybe in the book at all, but maybe they're just like, we don't really, we feel weird about this. What do we do? We've never encountered this. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Or you know what? Don't. How about just let's just remove all the fucking turfy bullshit and just be like, here's Cece. Cece takes care of the kids. It's cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Phoebe falls in love with you. Yeah. Yep. And be like, yeah. You know, and even also have Phoebe have other interactions, other like kind of romantic interludes before then. Mm-hmm. So that it's not just like... Well, none of the other people liked Phoebe, so obviously she's gonna end up with somebody else. Like, no. Have her just work at a circus that has some sideshow stuff and have one of the, like, cute elephant handlers or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of likes her and she's like, tee-hee-hee, but then, oh no, my little sister is here. Fuck, what am I gonna do? And then, crap, we can't stay here. We gotta go. So, like, go to the brothel and, like, you're gonna work there for a little while because, whoops, we didn't get paid. Oh, cute girls. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, one of one of the girls likes me. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do a kiss. We're gonna touch <laughs> boobies. <laughs> and like Dr. Mink's people show up and then this the little sister being like, We can go there and be like, sure, sis, let's try that out. And then wham, there's Cece and they go by they and they're beautiful and, and interesting and smart and definitely not the other character. <laughs> the end we fall in love. Yep. Yep. Fixed it. I, I, yeah, right, right. And it's wild how you do that when you start looking at it as like a story for this character and not like you were on this bent where you're going to show people the value of sideshow performers. Like, maybe just don't do that. Ugh. The other thing I would do in Phoebe's story is to still do that same kind of ridiculous, over the top cavalry ending. Mm hmm. Where everybody shows up and everyone's happy together. Because I would have the cute little uh, uh, elephant handler and the the lovely lady at the brothel both come find her being like, we still like you, and wham, Polly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then Phoebe's like, everybody likes me, yay. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is a much better ending, much better story. Unfortunately, it is not that book. Nope, it's not. Nope, it's this book, and this book is terrible. Mm-hmm. So the end of the book, since I have now mentioned it, mm-hmm. is so ridiculous. <laughs> so beyond murdering Cece, they then, like, have to go now, have to leave. Oh no, Dr. Mink is out there. We gotta go, guys. And then poor Earl who is just like, what's his sideshow thing? He's just a really big dude. Yep. He's just a very fat man. And he's another one that I was like, I like you, because you just seem like you're really interested in all the stuff that's going on around you. Yeah. And like, he shows up and they're like, you were going to turn us into Mink. And he's like, no, I fucking wasn't. (laughs) And he's like, Mink's ahead. Oh, no. So they're racing towards plot. (laughs) And Mink is there and he's got like a whole army of drunks (laughs) 
<laughs> who are going to help him take back these children. And there's a train coming and literally on this fucking train. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I just read it and I forgot about that. <laughs> like you literally read this like three yeah. hours ago. So Earl, who is, like I said, very large man. He sits in his wagon. He quote, never leaves his wagon. And he, like, stops the train by putting his cart in the way of it, but he somehow survives getting hit by a fucking train. Yeah, I was I was not clear on how that whole stunt was executed. Right? Like, I think what they, was being said is that he put the cart in the way, but that he was on the front. There was, like, some distance and whatever, but, like, still... Then the train slows down and, like, Earl just lies there until the very end of the fight where he's like, whoop, what happened? Didn't it also catapult him onto the road? Because they weren't talking about clearing him from the tracks. They were talking about clearing the wagon. So somehow his wagon got hit, but he got catapulted onto the road. I don't understand. Yeah, he got, like, sent flying. I just want a side note about what a fucking clusterfuck it is that the one fat character in this book their only accomplishment slash ability to help in the final fight is to just lay prone as a literal obstacle in the middle of the road. Oh yeah, and it's not like we can forget about him because there's multiple times where people like on animals leap over him, drawing our attention back to this this poor dude who's been hit by a fucking train. Mm-hmm. So his two kind of friends from the circus who were like, no, we're not going to leave our good job for you because we just met you like literally a week ago. And uh, no, Uh, his old boss from Fairyland on the horse show up. And then in comes another wagon with Mr. Northstar, the black lawyer whose son is missing because we forgot to mention that his son was stolen. Mm-hmm. He has what's the Vita Ligo. There we go. And Lily, the girl from the brothel, yeah, wielding a fucking broom. That was pretty random, right? Like, why did she go with? Right, I was under the impression she gave that much of a shit. It's same. Like, I know if you're having the dreams and whatnot, but like, just tell Mister Northstar, and then like, you're done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you're leaving your fucking employment. You had a pretty sweet thing going there. So now it's like literally anyone who was ever kind of nice to this kid, except for the cute, shy acrobat girl from the first circus. Yeah, she was just sort of suspiciously missing. Oh oh my god, do you think Tezzeret just like. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because remember, she was like, You shouldn't be looking at that girl. You're Mm -hmm. for me. Yep. So I think since he, but which is weird that she would talk to Lily, but whatever. Uh, Tezzeret does a fucking Xena yell and jumps on a camel and frightens Dr. Mink, but Abel stabbed him just a little bit and he doesn't die. Oh my god. Like, the fact that she charges at this dude with this camel and is, like, screaming, like, about letting him go and is trying to Mm -hmm. rescue him. And then Abel basically takes the opportunity to stab him so that he doesn't get shot. And she hops off the camel and she's like, yeah, he fainted at the sight of my rage. And Abel is just like, mm, you're so cute. You tried, but I actually stabbed him. Ugh. Abel's worst. And somehow this is so alright, We never mentioned Dr. Mink is like a skeleton man where he's like extremely, extremely skinny. I, again, don't know the name of this condition, but I, I have met people. And it's it's very grossly described. And like his 
not in the sense of like it is gross but the way that like she Mm -hmm. does the describing is gross and like at one point he like shows you you can kind of see like his skin's vaguely transparent so you can see behind his ribs his heart beating and stuff and like so this dude gets a little stabbed and lives yep yep it's wild (laughs) to me that that was even a problem where like for 30 seconds that's supposed to be a point of tension where they're like the sheriff who has seen this huge battle and knows essentially that this guy was trying to kill them and kidnap children is like you know son if that guy dies then i'm gonna have to take you yeah and uh abel's like oh no i hope he lives i only stabbed him a little and then like two (laughs) pages later And, like, two pages later, they're like, no, he's gonna live, and everybody chooses to ignore that Abel killed Cece, and that's not a point of contention. Right? They're like, well, I'm gonna assume that one of the vagrants who ran off killed Cece, since nobody remembers seeing it. Right? So why- why is this a fucking point of tension for, like, two pages? Why did we spend two pages doing this? Exactly. So, Yeah. Everybody literally comes charging in like fucking cavalry. All of the good guys are fine, except like somebody's got like a bump on the head or something. Even Earl, mm-hmm. who got hit by a fucking train, <laughs> is protected by being one of the good guys. Yep. And the children are all going to go live at Fairyland. Like everybody's everybody. Everybody. Including Lily, the girl from the brothel. And Mr. Northstar, mm-hmm. who is the lawyer, who is going to now be, like, retained as Fairyland's lawyer. Because the fucking colonel is like, no, Abel, you did a good one. Look at all these new acts you've brought me. You've saved Fairyland from bankruptcy. And I'm like, was that even a problem? I don't remember. I know, right? That was 300 pages of awfulness ago. I can't be expected to remember that. Oh, my God. It's just the most ridiculous... Over the top, not even Scooby-Doo ending. What are, what's the show where, like, everything's good and happy at the end? It's just, like, an 80s cartoon. It, like, ends on a freeze frame of everybody high-fiving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All of these people on a train. <laughs> While Abel in the background holds up a sign that says, Phoebe's a bitch. <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's everything. Do you have anything else you could possibly... I mean, there are little things here and there, but they don't, like, just, just take our word for it. This book's bad. It's just bad. There's, you know, stuff that we haven't talked Mm -hmm. about that's still pretty Mm -hmm. shitty. Don't read this book. No, don't. And a sad conclusion to Mm. uh, a bibliography that started out pretty good. Yeah, that's, like, one of the most disheartening parts. I was kind of joking in my head when I was setting up my microphone and stuff, and I was like, Welcome to Backlist and Chill. And the story of how we're not going to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not really. We're definitely going to do this because it's fun. But also, like, wow, what a bummer. Downer note. (laughs) Right. Welcome to Backlist and Chill, uh, where we've learned our lesson. (laughs) Right? Like, is this going to just be the way of it? You're like, hey, it's fun for the first couple of ones. And then, like, they just keep writing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that, I mean, that's the wildest part. There, there are only four books and it took a steep downhill dive. Yeah. Oof. Oof. I feel like even with our reread of Blood and Chocolate, where, where it got seriously problematic mm-hmm. uh, and, and disheartening and disappointing, even if we had just ended on that, like that would have been kind of sad. Yeah. Then we read Freaks Alive and it was like, <laughs> holy shit. Mm-hmm. At least it's over. It's over. 
Yeah, like that's season one right there and at Curtis yep. Klaus. All all done in the bag. <laughs> Would you recommend Annette Curtis Klaus to people? Oh, that's such a tough question. As a whole? As a whole? You really can't because on the off chance that a library has Freaks this Alive book. and they decide to get that first because everybody else is reading Silver Kiss because that's the good one. Mm-hmm. I love that like uh, you were on like a wait list at your library for this book. Oh my god, I know. I still haven't gotten like a message about it. Like They still have it. Maybe they did The World of Favor and decided to burn it. Actually, it was a digital copy, uh, yeah. so that's unlikely. I just I want to reach still. out to them and be like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? You, you alive over there? Because it's rough. We know. Yeah. You don't have to finish it. You don't. You can just return it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're doing, like, the good thing and they're keeping it away from other people. Maybe <laughs> it's somebody who just constantly renews oh it God, I hope so, so that other people can't read it. See, that's the kind of shit I would do. <laughs> <sighs> I I think I could not recommend Annette Kerr's Klaus as an author on the whole because of this book. Mm-hmm. That I would have to say, I really liked this particular mm-hmm. book. I like the cancer book with vampires, you know. <laughs> I like the, the mid-grade, you know, sci-fi ghost mystery. It's like, hey, you know the books that you've heard of that are by Annette Curtis Klaus? Those are pretty good. Yeah. But can't say, yep, go read her. It's rough. It's real rough. Pretty impressive feat with literally only four books. <laughs> no. I would say this is my number, oh god, I don't know. I was gonna say number two worst book. Behind Moonchosen. Yeah, but I'm not sure. This might be worse. I think maybe, uh, you know, I'm going to go with Moonchosen is the worst because it is more recent. And PC Cast has had so many opportunities to fix her shit. No one should read either of them. That's for damn sure. <laughs> this is true. <sighs> so, hey, that was Annette Curtis Klaus. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We yes. are Backlist and Chill podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter at Backlist Podcast. Or on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlistandchill. You can find me on Twitter at Olivia Hennis, H-E-N-N-I-S. And you can find me on Twitter at endless underscore run. Join us there. And uh, if you've read this book, I feel bad for you. But please do tell us because we just need to like hug it out. Yeah. (laughs) 